You're listening to the Physics Ed Podcast. For hundreds of ideas, free experiments and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. And now, here's your host, Ben Newsom. Yes, welcome again for another Phys Ed Podcast. This week we are hanging out with someone incredibly interesting. We're hanging out with Richard Durham, who is a Curriculum Development Manager for the University of Auckland. Now, his role is to provide strategic guidance and decision-making in relation to curriculum development and learning design for the Faculty of Creative Arts at the University of Auckland. Now, here's the thing. He likes to do gaming. Now, real gaming, serious games, the board games, all the real physical games that we might have grown up as kids, and more importantly, you can design for, well, learning. And in this chat, we're going to be talking with Richard about what makes a game a good game versus a bad game. What makes learning actually work well in a physical game environment? Now, this is a science podcast, a STEM podcast. Think about this chat in terms of how you might be able to relate what Richard's been doing into teaching kids science. Really fascinating chat, and this is going to be part one of a two-part series around physical games and STEM. Let's dive in. This is the Physics Ed Podcast. We're all about science, ed tech, and more. To see 100 fun, free experiments you can do with your class, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. And click 100 free experiments. Richard, welcome to the Physics Ed Podcast. Thank you. I'm, yeah, I'm excited to be in this nether space of ones and zeros that we've got here. It is a nether space of ones and zeros. <laughs> I haven't. I agree. I've always talked about the ones and zeros coming down some form of cable or across the, you know, <laughs> the distance of beyond. But uh, no, I never thought of it that way. But uh, no, welcome, welcome to this chat. I mean, hey, we've only I've been hanging out for a little while, but I must say, mm. geez, what you get to do is is quite interesting. Can you? So I live haven't hung out with you yet, though. So Richard. Tell us, uh, what, what, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, the people wear a lot of hats these days. Um, during the day, most of the time, I'm working as a curriculum development manager at the University of Auckland in the Faculty of Creative Arts and Industries. Um, and a lot of that's about improving the teaching and learning that we're doing in our faculty. And because um, I've got an education background, of course, like um, taught science for a decade or so, and then moved into the learning design space and tried to get back into academia because the private industry is, as you may know, a bit soul-sucking. So um, I, I, uh, I've always along, the, along for the ride with that has been this uh, love of game design and game development and the way that people think and learn. And uh, in games, we're always such a interesting parallel because, uh, because they're, they're so engaging, right? And, and on, on levels that other mediums um, just can't match. Uh, and I say that for me personally, because of course people will be up in arms if they, if they say, well, wouldn't mean books are incredibly entertaining and you'd be right. <laughs> but there's, there's something about a game and the interaction, which makes it an even more immersive or more deeper kind of engagement for, for me myself. Right. And, um, and I've always loved the parallels between that and learning and um, the way that we get engaged with something is quite interactive and the way that we learn through those interactions, which is very much in the way that when we try to design educational environments, we're looking at you know, a curriculum, right? The definition yeah. of curriculum, these, the strung together teaching environments and teaching activities, that that's exactly what a game is as well, right? And, and uh, Ref Koster is the one who's quoted the most as saying, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, that uh, when you're playing your learning like when you're playing a game the fun part is the learning right and and that's a it's it's a pithy quote for sure but it's a really good one when trying to draw the parallels between what games do and what teaching and learning do 
And so it's been around the along for the ride for me for these you know, 20 odd years where I, I work a lot in physical games, tabletop games, board games, um, theatrical games, uh, games that take up parks where we're activating street spaces for families and kids to get together with a group called Wild Streets and here in, in Auckland in New Zealand, uh, where I am. And uh, we, you know, we, we run large events where there's people running around museums and doing scavenger hunts and these kind of things. And I just, I love the, the sociality of it, but I've always tried to design my teaching experiences and, and try to talk to people when it comes to education in a way where we're talking about it in a playful and a gameful way. And, I, and, I, and it seems like a very whimsical thing to have kind of a life mission to make the world more playful and gameful in our learning environments. But, you know, you, you take the little battles and find victories in them and then it's very fulfilling, I find. Uh, like, like what I love what you're doing is, I mean, it, geez, it, it goes through a gamut of different types of games. I mean, I was just thinking just then, I, mean, I can imagine being mm. in front of a cohort of teachers going, right, so we're going to talk about game design or ga games for kids. Uh, and I kind of wonder what would con be conjured in people's minds when you say <laughs> games for kids. Well, when I say games for kids, when I hear that, even my, my body revolts a little I bit. Know. I know. Like, what do you mean? Games yeah. are for everyone. Um, we, we often think of games for kids and the, the yeah. teachers do, teachers do especially. Uh, ooh, it depends on the teacher. If you're talking with primary teachers, a lot of them are really good at this. Like they're really good at games for kids uh, because they're activating. I mean, they're looking at the, the value of just in everything from the motor skills to the social development to the, but a lot of grownups and I'm going to call grownups instead of adults here, but the older people um, who are thinking about games for kids are often thinking about what they did for a pastime. For, yeah. for games, right? And they're thinking more, uh, maybe roll a die and move along a little board and nothing consequential happens except maybe you get to the end first. Um, or they're thinking of games for kids that are little puzzles or memory, right? And they're thinking of little skill challenges like that, but they're not thinking of something that holds the attention or is engaging for anybody over the age of five or six. Um, and so, uh, so I, yeah, I reject that notion. I, I, um, I, re I recognize that there's, there's games you can master as an adult. And so they're, they're no form, not interesting anymore because the skills that you're engaging aren't, are already well-developed, but it's more than just challenge. You know, the challenge uh, of your skills and that growth of those skills is only one, one angle on why something or why a game can be engaging or immersive. And so um, a game for kids, what is that? That's you know loll lollipops and you know and <laughs> colors and bright things. They may think it's the theme, but yeah, it's this um, games for games for kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. We're talking about learning design in lots of different yeah. ways, and I mean, when it comes down to gaming, gaming is mm. simply just a way of either expressing knowledge, passing on knowledge, or assimilating that knowledge in a way that's meaningful that kids can kind of, or adults, or grown-ups, mm. or grown any version yeah. of the person that has a heartbeat. Can, uh, can can learn so i guess like a, if you sort of had the uh, some some students and you wanted to create a game that was going to be meaningful and contextual and somewhere that uh, you know the students could you know what this works or if you've got a bunch of teachers or yeah, frankly the public what is a game what are the threads of a game that go you know what that actually works as opposed to I mean, the word for mine is not the right word. It's almost transactional. The way of like, I roll the die and I move forward six spaces and I roll the die and I get to roll, oh, I get a five mm -hmm. spaces for mm -hmm. It's not much to it really. So what makes a good game? I guess what I'm asking. <laughs> How long is the piece of string here? Um, Pretty long. <laughs> the, yeah. The, what a good game is, is going to be up for the artists to debate. Uh, but what I can yeah. say is, is why, why a bad game might be a bad game in that regard, like the ones you described. Uh, where you're just rolling the die. And, and, and you've got a separate question here, which we could also address, which is the, what makes one good as a teaching tool 
right? And then there's even another question, which is one, what makes a good, what makes a game a good environment for learning to happen um, instead of a as a teaching tool? Because there are many of those as well. Like um, I think the one that probably is most you know, seminal at the moment is Minecraft, for instance, so, yeah. games like that, which are literal environments where people are doing things and, and creating a lot of constructivist activity is happening in, in that. Um, but the first, first foremost bit that I would say as a point of difference is agency. Um, when you're talking about a game like Candyland, for instance, which is the, the a really concrete example of, you know, pull a card, move to that colored space and keep going and it's random and you win, hooray. Um, you're, the only skill you're testing is whether can you recognize the colors and follow the rules and take turns, which is why it's a kid's game because you've got to develop this turn-taking skill. But you, you're not making any choices. So a lot of the games where you want to instruct uh, are, are really looking at the interactive systems that are in play that's one of the concepts. So if you don't have any agency in a game decisions to make choices, experience uh, the results, I don't want to say failure because um, it's only a failure because you had some sort of intended goal uh, that you weren't able to reach. But if you're able to interact with the system, see the results, and then adjust your course, uh, you, you have something where you can learn from it, right? And the only difference between a simulation which we would commonly call a simulation then and a game is that in the game we have a we have a goal right and we do have a goal where failure is a thing because the simulation isn't going the direction we want it to for instance so so for instance if i was just examining um the gas laws right if i was just examining some some gas laws i could have a little easy simulator that shows that when i'm increasing the pressure what happens or like that. but um why do i care right and so you start layering in more layers to the experience of a game and a good, a good game, a better game, I should say, is one where there's kind of a, a narrative impetus, right? A, there's a story, there's a purpose outside of, he, hey, here's a simulation, right? I mean, the, the Boyle's gas laws, um, good for that, right? It's There it is, this example. And I could have that little simulator and not do anything with it. And I have a goal. If my goal could be quite rote, it might be like, you know, make the pressure in this system equal a certain value, right? Um, but that's, but why am I doing that? Right. And, and answering these questions of why, but why, but why is where you're trying to connect to the learner, right? And where you're trying to say, well, why? And this, this goes back to classic learning design of saying, why, why, do, why does it matter to me? What is it? What is in it for me? Do I have a grander purpose through which I am interacting with the system? Um, and in a game, um, I don't necessarily mean to say you need to have fictional narratives over the course of every game. But what I mean is that uh, winning is often that narrative, right? Just winning in the competition of a game, or even a cooperative game. You want to beat the game as a team. So uh, that that risk of overall failure states uh, is in competition, perhaps, is a good is a good narrative. And so you you may want to look at how the narrative of a game uh, feeds into the mechanics of a game, which are the mechanics are the um, very very simply the, the the mechanisms in chart. I'm, I know I'm defining a term with the term, but the the they're the the things that happen, the interactions that happen in the game, right? Um, well, I was just sort of wondering, like, when it comes yeah. to interactions, I mean, they could be complex or they could be rather simple. Yes. But does yeah. that necessarily affect what we're trying to learn? So the reason I'm thinking yes. about that is sort of thinking, well, for example, cell processes. There's a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> I mean, when uh, you're middle high school, you're learning about, you know, the 10 main things that are inside a cell. Yes, there's more to it, but, you know, that'll do for now. And then there's bits moving around, proteins and things. Uh but when you sort of add, start, add, add it up, it's actually, it's quite a complex ob object. 
game of like gamifying uh, creating the you know make the make the cell divide <laughs> whatever it is it's yeah. your object i mean does a game have to be complex to represent a complex idea or is it smarter to create a simple thing that represents a complex idea yes and um like you may want to it depends on what your goal is right um like the idea that uh, all models are flawed, but some are useful, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, in a game being a model that you've turned into a simulation, which you've turned into a game through interaction and failure states and, and goals. Um, if you've got a really complex system, but you have a simple concept that, about that complex system that you want to illustrate or get, get people to understand, make a simple game, right? And just understand that that simple game is a model of one aspect of a larger, of a larger complex system. Um, and, that, and this goes down to just general learning design in your curriculum. Like if you try to teach a complex system all at once without breaking it down into component chunks, you, you're going to meet a lot of resistance. It's going to be failure. So with games, it's the same thing. It's choosing what things you're trying to model and then saying, well, how do we build off of that? So uh, I, granted, I, I, I have you know, digital games are very good at being able to say, let's make tutorials and scaffolding people who are playing a game into the game's systems and you can end up with a very complex game. It would be the same process of teaching in that regard where you start with a simple concept that is a kind of a, something that can latch onto, build into the comp, build into the complexity of the game, right? And it, and it goes when you're even teaching a game. A lot of board games, for instance, um, if, if there's a whole school of thought on what's a good way of teaching a board game. And a lot of it is the same thing. Here's the concept. Who are you? What are you trying to do? Why are you trying to do it? And why is it hard, right? And with that simple high concept, you can then introduce the first system and the first thing the players need to do. Like, oh, you'll have this hand of cards. These cards represent your actions you can take. It's like, okay, cool. This is how I do stuff, right? And then you may say, well, why am I doing stuff? What's the goal? And you keep what, going into the concepts. Yeah. What's the thing? Like, I mean, uh, us as uh, consumers, so to speak, can go and buy a thing off the shelf. We can have it ordered in, <laughs> drop to your door, mm -hmm. and you've got yourself mm -hmm. a game. Uh, and of course we can learn the rules of the game and some games are great, some are less great and you work it out and you then share, Hey, oh, you really should try this game out and people mm -hmm. then buy the next game. But that's just using someone else's thought processes that created the game. And I kind of feel like as educators, we, it'd be nice if we created our own games and I, and no, cause you work in this space a lot. Yeah. I just sort of wondering, have you seen some great examples of educators who have taken this idea on board so well, They've, they've created some really amazing physical games, not, 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 not the digital stuff, digital stuff's fine, but just thinking from the physical space for now, they're going, you know what, that just worked. It sang to the students, it sang to the, it, it sang to the concept. That's what I was just sort of wondering, like, what, what have you seen out there that really is worth, uh, you know, as an example? Hmm. Okay, so again, there's a lot of range here. So, yeah. um, Genius Games, uh, geniusgames.org is a, a link you could get. John Covey, he's, um, he designs science-oriented board games that try to represent fairly complex systems like cytosis, right? Or uh, games like building atoms, uh, games about periodic tables and things like this. And those games are fun first. So they're meant to be engaging games using the authentic vocabulary of the discipline. Um, and, uh, and he knows, he, I mean, he's got a background in science education, so it's, he's trying to be as, as real as possible while also using hobby game mechanics to represent the systems, of course, as a model, right? So it's not like you're saying, I'm going to use these games 
And that's the only ever, that's the only thing you'll ever need to do, right? As part of the educator, play this game, and you'll be an expert in the periodic table. Yep. Um, because also the periodic table is what, right? Not it's not functional in its own, right? It's a categorization tool. So uh cytosis, for instance, is one who's got it's a game about cell biology. Um, that game is a again, it's a complicated game, it's a competitive game. Um You'd want to wrap it into your overall curriculum, though, if you were ever to try to use this. As you're talking about air dropping a board game in, um, <laughs> you're you're using someone else's system, and you you either take a game as its whole, right, and say, well, we're going to use this. How can we use it in the classroom setting? And the biggest problem that a lot of teachers have with using games off of the shelf in their classrooms are that they don't fit the time scale. Um, the player count is too hard. You need like 20 copies to fit uh, your your class. Or, or at least a half a dozen copies. Um, you need to teach them how to play the game and then pull out all of the material from the science. And so there's a lot of a lot of time constrictions here. So um, I read, I advocate for a lot more in classroom settings, a lot more games that are simple, simple, simple little games that illustrate those simple concepts or ones that, um, ones that represent so vastly complex systems that we don't try to model them. We just model complexity. And this, this would be a whole genre of games like matrix games, for instance. Uh, and, and matrix games where uh, are, are very loosely um, class-sized games um, or down to six people where you uh, are modeling a lot more societal kind of questions where groups of people will represent one role, for instance, right? And then another table will represent a different role, a model model UN kind of thing. It fits in this a little bit, right? And and then you, you set up some scenario. There's a game master um, that's usually the teacher and they're running the students through a scenario, uh, setting up the scenario. And then the students just manipulate the scenario, right? They take turns and they talk about what they're trying to do, et cetera. But it's a very social game. And when it comes to hard science concepts, you notice that like that doesn't necessarily blend very well. But you you could examine the society, the sociological kind of concerns around science, right? Scientific debates, for instance, and use that, uh, or or even historical ones about <laughs> like paleontology, for instance. You could be looking at why certain scientists decided that they were going to rush the discovery of particular dinosaurs, right? And and they would make mistakes on what kind of dinosaur they were discovering. That wasn't a real dinosaur. They just assembled the bones wrong or claimed that there was a discovery. What kind of pressures are there on scientists, right? Again, um, to 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 produce results, right? Again, these are not hard concept sciences. This is about science in society kind of questions. But when it comes to the hard concepts, again, Genius Games is pretty good. Um, a lot of them are just going to be simple skill-based, right? I, I have yet to see this nut cracked uh, on a way that you can box up and produce to people uh, and, and to ship a game which plays in 30 minutes and is also representing a complex <laughs> complex system of interactions there you you can get whole kinds of books on simple games you can play about flooding or games about um gosh like just building models of uh, atoms but again those are not the kind of games that i'm necessarily talking about well the game like really if you want to integrate these kind of things into your curriculum some of the considerations you'll have is like uh a am i am i iterating fast enough with my students are we playing this game for a week, for instance, right? You need to set that time aside and say, okay, we're going to play it. We're going to learn it today. Tomorrow, we're going to play it again. And then we're going to play it again the day after, et cetera, et cetera. And what are you learning out of that? You've got to really place it in your in the context. Um, or you need to be able to say, uh, we're going to set aside at the time at the end of the year or the beginning of the year when we're introducing a concept. And we're just going to use this game not, not as a, a way of demonstrating mastery because games are really good at um, feedback. And, and therefore, you're, you're really good at saying, well, if I understand that this concept, 
uh, it means I'm doing well in the game, right? And, um, and that's more for the kind of simulation games where they're more accurate to the concepts you're getting across. But a lot of the board games, for instance, you might use in a classroom are going to be for introducing the concepts and introducing how these systems interrelate um, so that when you're getting into describing the detail and explaining and kind of the rest, the rest of your curriculum, they have something to latch onto. So basically using it as a, in the way that experience, any kind of experiential learning is, is there, you, you give them the shared experience, you can then use that as a touchstone to reflect back onto over the next couple of weeks while you're covering a topic, and then maybe revisit it at the end, right, and see how their understanding of the mechanisms are perhaps imperfect, right, so you can look at the game, um, and you can say, okay, this is a model, how is this model flawed? Right. And, and really, because they are right. It's a, it's a game. Yeah. So it, because it, because every model is imperfect, you can then analyze that and say, well, how might you change this game? What, what is one aspect you might change it to make it a more accurate model or, or, or represent a different aspect of the real situation more, more accurately. And then you that. get into more of the game design as the teaching method. I love that. Cause I mean, I actually, I, I need literally do this class. What four days ago, uh, not game. It wasn't game, mm. but it does re describe the idea of kids critique, critiquing a physical model. I love getting, you know, those uh, solo system models that you get from a local shop and you, can, you pay 15, 20 bucks and they generally, well, frankly suck, <laughs> but, but that's great. I say, kids, this is the best thing that you could possibly use because I want you to pick on everything. And in this case, this particular model I've got, uh, is great. The only thing is that actually is a tick is if it's representing Sol, or Sun, and our eight planets going around. I go. The one thing that's good is it's missing Pluto because we're talking about planets. And I go, that's great. Now tell me why Pluto's missing. And the kids get to talk me about that too. I once ran a um a class. I mean, I don't even know how long we banged on about it because it's time to go, kids. Like it's time for lunch. <laughs> but <laughs> we filled whiteboards with just this simple fifteen dollar, twenty dollar device, just with so much stuff that was wrong. And the kids <laughs> actually actually demonstrate far more about what they didn't that what they truly knew then me going can everyone listen now we say mercury now we say venus now we say earth and then we move on it was like no 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 i want you to tear this apart Wreck yeah it. it's really empowering isn't it for a kid yeah. especially oh, if they want to they want to critique could... the man you know and then yeah. they're in <laughs> right if it's a model there's a representation of a model they can absolutely yeah do that i'm so still can... sore about pluto though and oh, and what really gets and, and what i'm interested in is like that goes back to that science and society kind of topic of like well why do some planets planetoids excuse me make the cut and others not make the cut and you can talk about the different classification systems who gets to make those decisions uh you know and and why they make those decisions there's there's reasoning behind you know like this the is international astronomical union the iau let's write letters <laughs> to them um but the actually i do actually have is a green shirt i do have this i have a back in my day i had nine planets and it's, it's like i actually had that on my as a shirt it's a real thing uh but anyway um the idea where I was going with this is that I could totally see that once kids have a, a rough mark, they don't need a mastery of a particular physical game, but they understand the concepts of the concept mm -hmm. as opposed to the game. You could then use the game mechanics alone to do the learning, let alone playing the game. Like, well, I suppose, I mean, they're the same point though, playing the game is meant to reinforce what's good and what's bad about the concept it's trying to represent. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's just a, yeah. So what is better? Kids creating games that mm -hmm. represent a concept they try as best as possible to make it fun and more importantly representative of the topic or are they better off looking at off-the-shelf games and picking on them <laughs> i would say uh yes and to those but yeah. uh, like in terms of with the the depth like if you've got a certain level of mastery of it you should absolutely be making more of the games and in fact making and then critiquing your own games 
is in is even the, the full circle isn't it because yeah. then you can say okay um we're gonna play some of these off-the-shelf games uh and which i think is an important component to this because a lot of those are going to be thinking about gameplay in ways the students may not have been exposed to yet and so it can broaden their literacy of gameplay mechanisms right um the idea of the things like like worker placement for instance they may be like what's that and you know it's shorthand for taking an action in a space that is limited right and so there's a scarcity of people who can take this action in the game and you might be saying well why would i do that what are some things that are actually like that when you're modeling that there's you know limited space and whoever gets their first wins you know like i don't know particularly electron shells you know and when you're making that decision about what mechanisms to include in the game you're doing it related to the actual interactions you're modeling and then later you can then critique that to say okay well maybe i would change that mechanism you know based on what i'm trying to model like maybe you're abstracting it away because you don't need you know that's why you get like hands of cards don't really represent anything right and they're just a hand of card but you may say well i'm abstracting some sort of something Right. And then you can say, well, it's not abstracted anymore. Let's implement, implement new mechanisms to it. And the so, students might end up getting more complicated games on their own. So yeah. I'm going to ask an unfair question generally, because it just cut going ahead. If you had to list, like say your top three games, I've given you three rather than one yeah. top three games of all time, which is really unfair because you know, a lot of them <laughs> like, for, for actual Ooh. going, you know what? I know this one, this one going to ramble for a bit while you collect your yeah. thoughts because yeah. none of this is actually ever planned. But I'm just thinking like there are all these different ways and let's make it a little bit easier because of course there are great yeah. games for certain different audiences and all the rest. But I mean, <laughs> if we had to just say, let's just say a uh, high school audience, right? So that at least targets a little bit. Um, yeah. to high school audience of any culture that seems to you know it just works no matter who i put this in front of or every time i've heard they've used it this thing works right <sighs> you know it's unfair <laughs> yeah okay no 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 it's unfair but uh i like i like that it's unfair every game is putting artificial obstructions in front i would say dungeons and dragons and i'm saying that and i'm using that specific example because it's well known right i but i'm gonna i would more generally say role-playing games because yep. they are both a really crunchy mechanisms that you can use in the modeling, but also really high on the embodiment of the player as a character. Um, and because it's so much more steeped in just imagination than it is the rules of play, you can explore a lot of different concepts. And anytime I put it down in front of people, high school students especially, um, it's it just, it works. It just works, right? And um, the thing is, uh, if I was trying to put that in the context of a science classroom, I maybe wouldn't use role-playing games, right? And uh, and I'm, but you didn't ask that question, <laughs> did you? <laughs> right? Yeah. If if I was looking at other types of games that I really like, um, in that same vein, there's a there's a genre of games, but I'll pick an example called Watch the Skies, which is a mega game, okay. um, and a mega game is kind of like a Matrix game, which I mentioned earlier, uh, but with more structure uh to it and uh a mega game is a game again it gets a game that's played with like 60 people and uh you know you get some people who um very specific roles where you could be like the scientist of brazil the head scientist of brazil and one person's the president of brazil and and so on and so forth and you've got some scenario like aliens are invading and who knows right but it, it becomes a, a big day long event and um you can look these things up watch the skies you can easily google that one find a great playthrough from shut up and sit down where they kind of um, um, show their experience and almost in a documentary style. Uh, and it's really popularized the genre for people who would never have been exposed to mega games before, which is great. Um, if it comes to a board game, 
because I do love my some, some board games. Um, it would be, again, I'm a very social player. So I, I like things like uh, the Game of Thrones, the Iron Throne. That's one of my favorite board games introduced to people. It's kind of like Cosmic Encounter, but rethemed to Game of Thrones. And Cosmic Encounter is a game from the 70s where it's, it's a very uh, wild game of making temporary alliances like you would in Game of Thrones. And, and then um, uh, you, the best part about it for me is that you can have multiple winners. So you, you could, you know, you could, if you both reach the win condition at the same round of play, you, you all win, right? There's, so in the end, you can have, if you're playing with five people, four of you could win and one of you could lose, right? Or three of you win, two of you lose, et cetera. Just matters if you're all able to reach the same goal at the same time. And, um, and as such, the dynamics in play are a lot more interesting than just a straight head-to-head -head competition with other players. Uh, and so that's, that's what I quite like about that. What's really um, interesting is that uh, regardless of the type of a game that you've mentioned, there's still some themes that come through regardless. There's, oh. You talk about win conditions. You mm -hmm. talk about the structure and the results and the rules, mm -hmm. the number of players involved who can, can actually feasibly play the game at the same time. So I suppose there really are constraints you know, by, na by nature of the beast of <laughs> actually having people trying to interact around a thing. But I guess at the same point, there's also those open expansive things that exist in, well, I mean, yes, in the digital world where they suddenly just become, you can do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. bit, hard, bit hard to do. I, mean, I do love the mm -hmm. fact that you mentioned Dungeon Dragons. Yes, I did do D&D once upon a time as a kid. Uh, and it was solid. Don't say that regretfully. No, it's, no, a, it's solid. It's great. And what I didn't realize, because you know, as a kid, I just did not know just how much you, that there's a couple of, you know, really just some paper and some dice just rolling around could mm -hmm. transport you. Mm -hmm. And isn't that the point? When, you, when we kind of look at these things. It can that, be, it can that, be. Hey. That is the point. I mean, if you're, that, if you're that immersed and you lose your time and oh gosh, it's five o'clock, I've got to go home or whatever it is, that means you're actually actively engaged in the concept. And isn't that the point of what we're trying to do with the learners in the first place is to engage the student or the person or whatever way. Yes, and, right? Again, I'm, I'm very, and obviously I'm using like really rubbish improv uh, kind of That's phrases right. like yes, and because uh, theater, right? And that kind of, that kind of yeah. fun that you get from the immersion is, is one way of having engagement with your things. The challenges as well, losing yourself in it. If you're talking about that kind of flow state, right? That people talk about a lot when they talk about games. Um, I'm not so sure that I would say that's the end all be all of games is that okay. that engagement is it. Um, because I, because it, the flow state, because I don't like where it ends, right? Usually the flow state discussion usually moves into this idea of um, people who play the game and don't want to stop playing the game, right? And that's not what games are actually about, right? That's, that's a different mechanism that people are triggering in your brain to make you do things that you don't want to be doing anymore, right? The actual kind of dopamine release. And, and the, there's, a, there's a bit of a misnomer here that, not a misnomer, but like this, this misguided idea that games are what are releasing, that it's pleasurable and it's releasing dopamine. That's not actually the case. The, the, like a, a gambling might do that, but you might be consciously saying, I don't wanna be doing this anymore. I don't wanna be doing this anymore, but you can't help yourself. You feel compelled to do it. That's that's where you're getting that dopamine. Yeah, in this, right? yeah and the games are not doing that. That's not, the games themselves are, are, are engaging for other reasons, like a book. Do you, do, I mean, do you see a lot of people who are like, I can't, I can't put the book down. I can't stop. I need to go counseling for a book. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, it's a very serious issue, actually, for um, not for books, but you know, yes. if you have a kind of addictions. The the idea though of of games as flow are just one angle of it, right? So um, yeah, so what I'm getting at is is that sometimes it's a curiosity that people really like about the game. Um, 
sometimes it's the challenge, right? And overcoming that challenge in a flow state usually gets into this idea of your skills are being just overreached uh, so that you're succeeding maybe 80% of the time. And that's a good number I like to use because like you really, that's where the best learning, AKA air quotes, making air quotes is happening. You're getting about 75, 80% of the successes, which means you're just growing, growing, growing. And if you can keep people in that, that lane, of challenge to the skill they currently have, then they will keep getting better and enjoy it because they're feeling challenged. Um, that, that would be the flow. But how do you say that you're in that flow state when you're doing exploration, right? If you're just like going on a bushwalk and you're peeking under rocks and things, right? You know, it's a different use of the term. Like it still may fit in the psychological profile, but it's not the way people talk about flow. So that's, that's why I'm wondering when we look at games, we're not just looking at like, keep playing, keep playing, engagement, engagement, engagement. Um, the value of games goes far beyond that in terms of like, they are representative models. They are systems. They are, we can think of an, in an ecological sense of like how everything relates to everything else. Um, and that's, that's a power that shouldn't be overlooked, although often is because we're looking at it ways, how can we hook learners? How can we hook them? Um, just one final point on that, it, it's, 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 it's kind of, it's almost trite now to say it because people talk about how schools are like a poorly designed game um, because you, you walk in, you're told what to do. You have very clear, perhaps sometimes clear objectives. You either succeed or you fail, right? And then you get your scores back and that's a game, right? And it's just like a game, except it's completely a horrible game. There's no one, like it's very few people like it. There are people who really love that. And those are the kind of people who love that sense of challenge and feedback and um, they just say, well, there's the skill, there's the math problem, there's the whatever I want to understand. And it's fine. And that the subject then is what's intrinsically interesting to them. But the, just the format around it is not, right? Um, and yet I say that at the same time that games like Trivial Pursuit are really popular, right? People like to know things. They like to quiz themselves. But the stakes are totally different, right? Yeah. In, in our, and the stakes are very high in our schools, right? So when you're asking these trivia games, high stakes quizzes or quizzes for points to determine your future and success and failure it's not a well-designed game <laughs> yeah i mean it's funny but i had this straight i hadn't thought about this in years my dad's been burned banned from playing trivial pursuit with the family because he's too bloody good at it <laughs> he memorize all the cards right? yeah, yeah exactly maybe that's what he was doing uh but yeah not my family the the, the extended family but anyway mm. um i guess so right so just circling all this back I mean, you're heavily involved in learning design and yep. you love Gains was clearly passionate yep. about it, let Very alone, um, you know, more than the average person. So, if you had uh, people involved like wanting to start using yeah. physical games with, I could say students, but frankly, anyone, mm -hmm. and in a way to teach concepts, whatever it might be, what would be the first steps for them to take? To take, ooh, uh, the first step I always recommend to people is to play some more games, like increase the literacy because then you're a more likely to encounter games that you're might fit your discipline. And, you know, and you like, oh, that's a good science teaching. You know, I could use that concept. Let me, let me implement that. Or you might see games where there's particular mechanisms at play where you say, I might be able to design a classroom activity that utilizes that little mechanism. That might be fun. Uh, for instance, there was, um, there was a little rock cycle game right, where, where more of an activity where you're going around making a charm bracelet um, that represents the, this story of a rock. And you're rolling some dice and seeing what the outcome is at every particular station to see whether, you know, it's it experienced a lot of heat and pressure. Oh, okay, I'm going to go over to the metamorphic station now. And you add the little bead onto the end. But this idea of, of um, having a rock with some 
characteristics that therefore might affect that die roll that then determine which station you go to um, because maybe it's, its current heat and pressure is quite high. So if you add just a little bit more, it's gonna melt and there it goes, you know, it's gonna become an igneous rock later. Like this kind of mechanisms that you're designing into this activity might've been inspired by a game you played. Right, and then this is this is one that I actually, that I ran years ago. It was like it's this classroom charm bracelet because then they can look at the history of their rock on their wrist, right? And um, that's a bit fun for other reasons than just the challenge or the experiment, right? They can look at it and say, oh, "I have this little artifact that I've created." And it's this that's charm so bracelet. cool. And and my brain went towards that. It's almost like a rudimentary blockchain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can track the history of it. It's it no one else has a rock looks like. Look at it. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah, and you can sell it as an NFT, couldn't you? Yeah, you can yeah, <laughs> take a picture you, of it. You heard it here first. Um, no, but, that, <laughs> but that's uh, that's interesting because yeah. my brain even went towards thinking about how you could almost use magnets on on, on a die, and it, you could yeah. put, you put something, you could weight it, you could change it as the game progresses. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyway, yeah, this exposure though, like you're talking about, like, oh, I've been exposed to these kind of things before. How do I? How might I use that to make my activity more of a game? And I say that in terms of the, maybe it's just a mechanism to make it more engaging because there's a bit of an agency now in the game or there's unexpected results that they might get from like rolling, just rolling the dice, things like that. Um, another thing that I might do other than just playing widely, right? Getting that literacy up is to, um, <laughs> there's a lot of game design resources that are out in the world these days because there's, it's a democratized process to make board and paper games. Um, find instead of just going out onto the web, you Google a lot of like game design for educators kind of resources, um, find yourself a local game design group and say, hey, I'm a teacher and I want to make some games and, and work with them. Um, that's, that's that kind of mentoring approach to how I can get games into my classroom. Um, another thing you might do is, is look up um, some, there's often a lot of little decks of cards that you can get uh, for game design, uh, but, but using them, using them uh, without knowing what you're doing first might result in bad results, right? It's the kind of thing where if you try down this path without having a little bit of education, you end up a little more dangerous, right? Because you're, 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 ending, you're souring, souring it by doing it wrong. So I don't want to mention those too much, but you, you can find game design card decks that you can use in classrooms. I really love um, the idea of visiting um, people who are actually actively into gaming and perhaps knowing yeah. the teaching community, if you are holding teach meets, this might be well worth inviting yes. someone from that community. Absolutely. And then, um, and that's something that I've done a number of times, right? And uh, it's like, say, just get someone in to talk about it, run you through uh, what is game design? What are some challenges? Um, how do you do it? What's the basics of what a game looks like? Um, and then extrapolate there and back into your classroom. And, um, somebody who I think is really good at this is Stone LeBrand. Um, and he's um, he's not a teacher by trade. He's really good at teaching. And he's got a series of videos that he did um, for the Game Developers Conference where he teaches game design to game designers. And he talks about how he does it. And his resources are all available. And it's a very good introduction to what games are and the kinds of things you need to be thinking about when you're designing a game activity. And the um, activities that he has, and he, because he did this when he was teaching at, um, at um, universities, uh, it's very, they're very good kind of examples of how you'd run game-like activities or game activities, in this case, to teach game design. So find Stone LeBrand's um, resources, 
um, shoot you a link and you'll be able to get those. Yeah, yeah. No, usual. And what we'll do, uh, as per normal, we'll put these links in the show notes. Uh, so you can definitely go check those out. And seriously, that, I mean, honestly, I'm going to go check out that particular um, group of resources there because I haven't heard about Stone's work, but I must say, mm-hmm curious anyone who's instructing the people who instruct others is usually usually not a bad way to start uh but no, that that's really cool and look hey there might be people listening in who would love to be instructed or at least have a chat with you richard to find out a bit more about what you do and all the mm. rest so how do they get in touch uh there's a lot of ways um you can email me at um rich at wondertree.nz that's one way or our dot durham at auckland.ac.nz if you want to go through a university if you work at a school it's a good way as well um or on twitter if that's more comfortable you can at me um at rich durham and i, I, I anything that i do with games i do it through there as well i don't use it for except for a lot of private messages no worries and that's by durham as d-u-r-h-a-m for mary I found I have to do this uh, a little bit because someone said I can't find the link. It's like oh, because because they, they didn't not used to saying that. <laughs> yeah, and the number of times I have to spell my name out for anybody, uh, I oh. usually have to say it's Durham, and that's M as in monkey. Yeah, for the, Austra- um, yeah. For the Australian adults, uh, uh, I, I was a Houston for a long time during the election cycle about twenty odd years ago, whatever it was. There was a candidate with a, a different name, but it sounded like mine. <laughs> <laughs> it just happens. Uh, look, look, Richard, it's been, it's been, top, it's been awesome uh, having a chat with you uh, today. Uh, really looking forward to uh, le- le- learning a bit more about what teachers will be able to do around, you know, true gamification, actually using yes. the games. And, yeah, uh, using the games. Yeah. Oh, I, I feel the hair is going on my back and I can say gamification because that's a whole other conversation. That's a whole other story. Makes... That's right. <laughs> that's true. As I said, using the games. <laughs> oh, well, I feel better now. Oh, it's, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure, Ben. Thanks for um, inviting me on. Look, much appreciated, mate. Have a top afternoon. Thank you. You too. We hope you've been enjoying the Physics Ed podcast. We love making science make sense. Why don't you book us for a science show or workshop in your school? If you're outside of Australia, you can connect with us via a virtual excursion. See our website for more. So I hope you enjoyed that chat with Richard Durham. And remember, this is part one of a two-part series around incorporating games into your classroom. Seriously, it is well worth looking at creating some games with your students and seeing the impact. And I know that Richard has done so. Seriously, so reach out to him on email or on Twitter, as he mentioned before, but also go into the show notes. Really, it's well worth it this time because there's a bunch of different links you can check out. Everything from mega games to science teaching games like Gut Check. Uh, you know, Gut Check, it's a microbe game. Through the Genius Games Collections, Pave Paradise, there's a whole bunch of different links that you can look at, including the game design curriculum by Stone LeBron. So look, well worth having a look at. So I hope you've enjoyed this particular chat. Again, this is part one of a two-part chat around games and science education, and I hope you've enjoyed hanging out with us for this particular round. So anyway, there's enough from me. This is Ben from Physics Education, and you're listening to the Phys Ed Podcast. I'll catch you very soon. You've been listening to another Physics Ed Podcast. We're excited about science. Subscribe to us on iTunes to download the next episode as soon as it's released. And don't forget, for hundreds of ideas, free experiments, our new Be Amazing book and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. AEON.net.au